Well, good morning, church family. I encourage you to take your Bibles, turn to the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, and go ahead and turn to chapter 36, chapter 36 in the book of Isaiah. They're basically sort of in the middle of your Bibles, Old Testament, Isaiah, chapter 36. Um, We're going to be covering chapters 28 through 39 today. But 36 will be our starting point. If you are new today uh, to us, what we have been doing over the month of May is we're doing an overview of the book of Isaiah. So 66 chapters in five weeks has kind of been our, our, our pace, and it's going fast. And so we're just trying to do kind of a flyover of the book of Isaiah, understand what are some of the main themes and what it would have to teach us as God's people. And so today is our third week of our overview of Isaiah. In week one, we looked at the first 12 chapters and saw the God of unapproachable holiness and all that's going on in Judah in that day and their rebellion against God. We looked in chapters 13 through 27 last week and saw how all the nations of the world will be accountable to the Lord. Today we come to chapter 28 through 39. The book of Isaiah can be an intimidating book of the Bible. But again, its primary purpose was to warn, through the prophet Isaiah, to warn the people of Judah, those of the southern kingdom, the kingdom of the the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms at this time, the northern kingdom in the north and Judah in the south, and Jerusalem was in Judah. And so uh, kind of the center of, of all of the religious activity of the Jewish people of the day. And so The point, the purpose of Isaiah was to speak to Judah to warn them about trusting anything or anyone else but the Lord. It was a warning to Judah to not look at the ways of the world and put their hope there, but to trust God. And they didn't. So its primary purpose is to walk us through these warnings of judgment and yet at the same time giving us hope of restoration in the future. They're facing a looming threat, the people of God were, specifically from the main world power of the day, and that was the Assyrians in the north. The Assyrians of the north had made their way down through the northern kingdom, have already ransacked the northern kingdom, taken most of them into captivity, and now they were making their way into Judah, approaching Jerusalem. And that is where we pick up in chapter 36. In fact, chapter 36 through 39, I think are the only narrative pieces, narrative chapters in the entire book of Isaiah. And so it's kind of unique in that way. You've got all this prophetic language and now we have narrative, like you would read in some of the history, histories like Kings or Chronicles. So here we go. We're gonna look at chapter 36, kind of get our bearings, and then we're gonna span back out and get some... some uh, bigger teaching of what God would have us to see in this section of scripture. So here we go, chapter 36. It was in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. The king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And there came out to Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. And the Rabshakeh said to them, say to Hezekiah, 
Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, on what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you are trusting in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff, which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall, wor you shall worship before this altar? Come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to set riders on them. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Moreover, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Then Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to the Rabshakeh, please speak to your servants in Aramaic for we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah with the hearing of the people who are on the wall. The Rabshakeh said, has my master sent me to speak the words to your master and to you and not the men sitting on this wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine? And the Rabshakeh stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah, hear the words of the great, the, the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you for he will not be able to deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will eat of his own vine and each of his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern. Until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his, hand, his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim? Uh, have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their lands out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? But they were silent and answered him not a word for the king's command was do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rabshakeh. The people of Judah were facing quite a trouble with the looming Assyrian threat. Friends, we know that we don't live in a day when the Assyrians are knocking on our door. But I think the overall question that we would do well to ask ourselves today in light of what we see here in Isaiah is that when troubling things happen in your life, when troubling things happen to you or around you, who or what are you most tempted to trust? Friends, we always live with a decision to exercise faith faith either in God or in something or someone else. That's what we see here in this text. One of the most common themes in the Bible and certainly in Isaiah is the call for us to put our trust and our hope and our confidence in the Lord. But we should be quick to acknowledge that trusting God is not always easy. Deep inside of us, 
is oftentimes something that is present that causes us to doubt or maybe to look elsewhere. Trusting God may seem risky or difficult based on the information that we have in the moment. Friends, even though trusting God may seem risky or it may be difficult, it is the only way we can faithfully live in light of all of the brokenness and difficulty that we face. In these chapters we're looking at today, God is affirming once more that he and he alone has the power to fulfill all that he's declared and all that he's promised. And the question running throughout is this, do you trust him? Will you trust the Lord or will you look elsewhere? That was the question posed to Judah, ironically through an evil Assyrian king. Who are you gonna trust? Here in these chapters, Isaiah is presenting us perhaps one of the greatest threats that Judah has faced so far. You remember back in chapter seven, it was King Ahaz that was warned against making an alliance with the Assyrians. And in the midst of that warning, God, through Isaiah, sends to Ahaz and says to him, this is the guy we all are envious of, right? The Lord says to Ahaz, ask anything of me, from the heavens to 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 the ground, to the grave, ask any sign of me and I will give it to you. I will give you any sign that you ask of me to show you that I am the one that you're to trust and that I will overcome the Assyrians and that you should not make an alliance with them. And Ahaz refuses. He doesn't seek the Lord. He doesn't trust the Lord. And now, decades later, Hezekiah is on the throne. He's the son of Ahaz, and he is king in Judah. And the superpower Assyrian army has made its way through the cities of Judah, all the way to the walls of Jerusalem. How would this king respond? See, Isaiah presents us all with this universal question that not only confronted Hezekiah and the people of Judah of their day, but us as well. Will we trust in the Lord or will we look to something else? As we walk through this passage today in these chapters, we're going to look at some historical realities that were taking place in this day. These historical realities that Judah faced regarding the Assyrians, Isaiah's prophetic warnings to them in the midst of these threats, and then Hezekiah's response. We're going to see through this that there is indeed only one right answer when it comes to who will you trust. We're going to look at this through three points. We're going to walk through these chapters with these points kind of walking us through. The first thing that we're going to consider is a troubling situation that we've already begun to unpack. And then we're going to look at a central question. And then we'll consider finally a glaring reminder. First troubling situation. Chapter 36 has presented that situation to us quite well. This a This Assyrian threat has been looming on the horizon for some period of time now. The northern kingdom has already experienced their wrath. We know that Assyria 
had its eyes ultimately. So if you're looking at a map, Assyria is in the northern part there through uh, modern day Iran and Iraq and, and that part of the world. And now they have their sights set on Egypt. And so the only way for them to get to Egypt is to come down through Israel and Judah to make their way to conquer Egypt. And so they've gotten one, one distraction out of the way and now Judah is on their, their mind, on their pathway. And it's at this point that, a, that Assyria has already attacked the Northern Kingdom and taken them captive. That happened in 722 BC. And now, King Hezekiah's 14th year, Assyria is, is there, and it's probably around 702, 701 BC, some years later, that this Assyrian threat is now knocking on Jerusalem's door there in Judah. Again, some 30 years prior, King Ahaz was confronted with a dilemma facing God's people. Are you going to trust Assyria or are you going to trust me? And King Ahaz made his decision. I'm not going to trust the Lord. And now Hezekiah was faced with the same question. Look in chapter 36. It was the 14th year, verse 1, King Hezekiah, that Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And the king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a great army. So there's the setting. And then look at verse 4. And the Rabshakeh, he's this high-ranking official in the Assyrian army representing the king of Assyria, says to them, Say to Hezekiah, your king, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, on what do you rest this trust of yours? It's interesting that through this evil king and his high-ranking official, that the people of Judah are, are, are facing this same question. Who are you going to trust? Where will you place your trust? That is the big question. It's the big question of these chapters. It's the big question of this book. And it is the big question looming for us today. Who will we trust? This high-ranking official from Assyria goes on to mock Judah's alliance, or at least looming alliance with Egypt, as well as in any one of them who would trust in the Lord. Not only does he mock their alliance, he, he mocks them for being tempted to Multiple times they're told, don't listen to Hezekiah when he says, let's trust the Lord. And so you see that the Assyrians are not only threatening, they're, they're pushing to the heart of Judah. He's telling Judah, whose inhabitants were feeling the mounting pressure from Assyria, that their troubles, you see it there in verse 16. Look at verse 16 of chapter 36. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria. So here you have this high-ranking representative from Assyria coming to the people of God saying, don't listen to your king, listen to my king. Make your peace with me and come out to me and then each of you will have your own vineyards and all of these good things. You see what he's saying to them. He's, he's, he's telling these inhabitants of, of Jerusalem, they've already gotten word of, of surrounding cities being taken by the Assyrian army. Now they're surrounding Jerusalem and they're being told, don't listen to your king, just follow us. Trust us, trust the Assyrian king, and you'll be given all kinds of good things. They had a choice to make. Would they take the Assyrian king's word, or would they follow their king, Hezekiah? You see, friends, our circumstances today may be quite different, and indeed they are. We don't have a, a, a world power we don't have an Assyrian army surrounding us today, threatening us. 
But friends, there are plenty of circumstances that push the same question before us. Who are we going to trust when life is under pressure? There may be a myriad of situations when we are tempted to lose our perspective of who God is and what he's called us to do, to lose our nerve, to begin to doubt. You see, the threat of Judah, the threat that they faced was enormous. I mean, humanly speaking, they were all but done for. They they could not get themselves out of this one militarily. They were not going to be able to talk their way out of this. Assyria was was going to do what they wanted to do at this point. They, they were the superpower of the day. Friends, the trials and tribulations we face today, they will come in various forms. They will look different. They will feel different. But the question is still the same. Despite the threats we may face, despite the troubles we may face, God is calling us as his people to put our trust in him a trust that looks beyond the situation and clings to him as the source of our confidence. And friends, that's really the question that we need to ask ourselves today. Are the decisions we're making on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis, in light of the challenges, in light of the difficulties and pressures and tribulations and troubles of this world, are the decisions we're making decisions that are flowing from a robust trust and faith in the Lord, or are they decisions that are flowing from something else? You think about that on multiple levels. We can think about it as a church. As a church, are we making decisions corporately that stem from a bold faith and trust in the Lord, or do we look more like the world and how we think through and act? Parents, are you raising children to live with a bold confidence and trust in God? Or do we see them looking elsewhere? Do they see us living with a bold faith, a bold trust in the Lord? Or do they hear fear and worry and wonder if in fact God could be trusted? You don't have to be married or you don't have to be someone with children to think through this. What kind of person in your context, as a single, as whatever circumstances you live in? What are you demonstrating regarding where you put your trust and hope? What do people around you see when things go south? Where's your trust? Friends, do we shock people? Do we shock people with just how bold our faith in the Lord is in this world? Listen, trusting God is going to oftentimes look radical to the world. I mean, here you have this representative from Assyria mocking the people of Judah, laughing almost at them. Do not put your trust in Egypt. And do you think for a moment that your Lord can deliver you from this? Look to the king of Assyria and he will help you. Friends, we hear that all the time, don't we? You really think God is in this? You really think that that God can get you through this? 
You just need to believe in yourself. You just need to hope in the world and what the world's wisdom and provisions can be for you. We look at this text and the representatives from Hezekiah take this word to him. And thankfully, Hezekiah makes his decision in light of the looming threat, and it's a right decision. If you go on into chapter 37, look at what we see. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna the secretary, and the senior priest, covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah. So he does two things. Hezekiah gets word of what's going on, With the Assyrian threat, he does two things. He goes to the house of the Lord and he calls for Isaiah the prophet. And Isaiah comes to him. Verse five of chapter 37, when the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, say to your master, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which young men of the king of Assyria have uh, reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. So what does the Lord say through Isaiah? Don't worry about it. You look to me and you trust in me. And that's exactly where Hezekiah, unlike his father Ahaz, That's where Hezekiah puts his trust. He puts his trust in the Lord. We're gonna follow back up on that through his prayer in just a few minutes. But that's the situation. Friends, our situations are different, but the question is the same. Who are you going to trust? You're gonna trust your own wisdom? You're gonna trust your education? You're gonna trust your bank account, your retirement? You're gonna trust whatever in this world? And there are good things we can certainly lean on in this world, but at the end of the day, where does your trust rest? Is it the Lord or is it something else? Which leads us to point number two, a central question. We know that this theme of trust throughout Isaiah is clear. Who is the source of your trust? But I think there's another question stemming from that one we need to also answer, and that is why. Not just who will you trust. The implied answer in that is we as God's people should trust the Lord, but then the question should come, why should we trust him? And these chapters throughout Isaiah from 28 to 39 are really good. They give us several good reasons as to why we should trust the Lord. Now, I just want to walk us through that very quickly. I want to give you three reasons why God can be trusted that we see in Isaiah. There's many more, but here in this, in this context. So if you go back to chapter 28 and we begin to work our way through, and, and we'll go fast, um, Several things. Number one, reason number one is that all other alliances will fail us. You see that in chapters 28 through 33. Chapters 28 through 39 are divided into two different sections. 28 through 35 include these additional oracles or prophetic woes the prophet gives concerning Judah, even Assyria and Egypt. And then Like I said earlier, chapters 36 through 39 are actually the narrative account detailing Hezekiah's response to Assyria. But in these earlier chapters, in chapters 28 through 35, we find a series of six additional woes, and you'll see them 
at the beginning of several of the chapters. If you look at chapter 28, you see this word, ah. It can also be woe. See it in chapter 28, verse one, for example. Ah, the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim. He's referring here to the, to the northern kingdom. The fading flower of its glorious beauty. And then you see in chapter 29, ah, Ariel, Ariel. It's a reference to Jerusalem, kind of a code word there. The city of Dave, where David encamped. So there's six of these ahs, these woes that you find throughout. And in every one of them, Isaiah is presenting a warning to, Ju to Judah that everything that they're trusting in besides the Lord will ultimately fall short and fail them. In chapter 28, it's the priest and the prophets who are drunk with their own lofty wisdom, trusting in their own wisdom. And they're leading Judah astray by it. He's saying, that will fail you. In fact, in, it's in verses nine and 10 of chapter 28 that these priests who were claiming to be priests for the Lord, these priests were mocking Isaiah's message, almost as if it's saying, don't listen to Isaiah, it's, it's beneath us. And in chapter 29, he refers to Jerusalem specifically through this code word of sorts, Ariel. In essence, he's saying Jerusalem is going to reap what it sows. She is going to get what she trusts in. Further in chapter 29 and uh, verse 15, you see that third, ah, ah, you who hide deep from the Lord, your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark and who say, who sees us, who knows us. Again, this reference to further spiritual transformation that's needed, not just simple outward reform for God's people, but reform that took place within their hearts. And he goes further to talk about the forest of Lebanon, these, these mighty trees of a forest will be cut down, God says, and they will be humbled. The fourth one we see in chapter 30, ah, stubborn children declares the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine, who make an alliance but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Do you see what he's confronting there? They're putting their hope in an, an alliance with Egypt and the Lord is warning them, stubborn children, do not trust Egypt. This is not my plan for you. My plan for you is to trust in me. I'm your Lord, but you're trusting Egypt. You're only adding sin to sin. You're, you're going back. In fact, the, the, the second one, or excuse me, in chapter 31, uh, which is another woe. Again, he's warning about going down to Egypt. He's, he's basically saying, don't do it. Don't go back to the bondage that God has already brought you out of. Remember your history. I brought you out of Egypt and now you're going back to them. Don't put your hope in these alliances. And then in chapter uh, 33, we see the sixth woe, which is actually against the Assyrian army. Again, God is showing his people time after time again that when they put their trust in alliances, they put their trust in other nations, they put them tr their trust in their own lofty wisdom and, and themselves, all of these things will fail them. Every single one of them. These chapters are recorded for us, friends, to teach us the very same lesson. It's a prophetic statement warning us even today not to trust in the things of this world. And it may not be in alliance with another nation. I just wanna ask you, what things are you most tempted to trust in? When you have trouble, what are you most tempted to trust in? What are you looking to when, when things get tense? 
when trouble arises, when tribulation happens in your, in your family or within your own life or around you, where are you looking? What is the first thing that you're, you're looking to? Like the Israelite leaders, you are prone, you and I both are prone to trust in our own wisdom. Are you tempted to trust in your own wisdom, your own ability, your own success? Are you tempted to trust yourself, the influence of others, the wisdom of others? Are you tempted to trust in money? You think you can just buy your way out of everything? Are you, are you tempted to trust in the political pundits of the day? Some people can quote these real popular news anchors more than they can quote scripture, and that's a pretty sad indictment on the American church today. It shows where you're trusting. And when political things start wavering, what's the church going to do? Well, Christ said he's going to build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And so we can trust the Lord. That's what we can do. Psalm 20, verse 7, I read earlier at the beginning that some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we, the people of God, trust in the name of the Lord our God. All other alliances will fail. Second reason why God can be trusted is that a final future awaits us. You get to chapter 34 and chapter 35, and then Isaiah takes us forward into the future and he shows us these two looming final outcomes. He takes us from his day and he walks us into the future and shows us these two outcomes. Number one, in chapter 34, he shows us judgment, future judgment. And he talks about the severity of this judgment all throughout this chapter. Just listen to a couple of verses. He says, draw near, O nations, to hear and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear and all that fills it, the world and all that comes from it. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their hosts. He has devoted them to destruction. He has given them over for slaughter. In verses eight through 10, for the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. And the streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch and her soil into sulfur. Her land shall become a burning pitch. Night and day it shall be not, not be quenched. Its smoke shall go up forever from generation to generation. It shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. You, you see this language of judgment. It's, there's going to be a point in time when the patience of God is no more. And against all of those who have rebelled against him and all of those who refuse to trust him and who remain defiant in their stand in opposition to him, they will be held accountable. And so what we see here in chapter 34 is this picture of the end, of the, of the, of the end to, to those who will refuse to put their trust in the Lord. This is what they can expect, this future judgment. For those who trust in their own wisdom, for those who are putting their hope in the things of this world, this is the future they have awaiting them. So you see the severity of judgment, but then you see the surety of salvation in chapter 35. So as he takes us forward into the future and he shows us the end for all of those who refuse to trust the Lord, he also shows us that there will be those who will be redeemed and restored. And then in chapter 35, he goes on and talks about this blessing for his people. He says in verse one, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. 
And he continues throughout that chapter. We know that throughout the book of Isaiah, even when he is referring clearly to judgment and condemnation for those who will not look to the Lord, he is all the way through being giving us snippets and little promises and hopes of restoration. Even in the midst of these woes in chapters 28 and following that I just walked us quickly through, you find these little snippets of hope and restoration. Chapter 29, verses 22 through 24. You see it in chapter 30, verses 18 through 33. Again, in the entire chapter, almost of chapter 32 and 33. But here in chapter 35, we have yet another reminder and reinforcement that for those who trust the Lord, they will receive salvation. They will be delivered and they will be gathered where there, where there will be no more trials. This is the dwelling place of those who trust in the Lord. You see in chapter 35, verse 10, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Friends, if your hope is in the Lord, that is your future. That is what you have to expect. That is what you have to anticipate and look forward to. The ransomed of the Lord singing with joy, obtaining gladness while sorrow and sighing shall flee from you forever. There's a second reason why God can be trusted because this final future awaits us. And then number three, God sits enthroned over us. And if you go on into chapter 37, we come back to this narrative section where we see Hezekiah's prayer. Remember, he's warned. He, seeks, he goes to the temple. He seeks Isaiah's help. And then we see what he prays. Look at chapter 37, verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the, God, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations in their lands. They've cast their gods into the fire. There were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. It's clear where Hezekiah was putting his trust. The content of his prayer is important because we see here that in the midst of this prayer, Hezekiah is not affirming his own strength. He's not saying, okay, Lord, this military I've raised up, this treasury that I have, these strengths that I've created. No, he's saying, Lord, you, <laughs> we're done for if you don't do something. They, they've wiped every nation they've come up against clean. And so, Lord, our hope is in you. Our trust is in you. And he makes this argument. He's, he's, he's affirming the sovereignty of God over the nations, he's affirming the sovereign reign of God as he sits enthroned as the maker of heaven and earth. And then he makes his request. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand. Why? That the kingdoms of the world may know that you alone are the Lord. 
Don't do it for our sake. Do it so that the nations will know who you are. Notice he's not praying. Notice Hezekiah is facing this, this threat that without divine intervention, they are done for. Notice Hezekiah when he prays, he does not pray, God, why are you allowing this to happen to us? But he prays, God, if you don't act, we're done for, but would you act? And when you do, would you glorify yourself in this so that the kingdoms of the world may know who you are? Hezekiah's theology is correct. God is the one and the only one who can be trusted. All earthly hopes will fail us. God's promises though are sure and he reigns sovereign over us. Therefore, we can trust him. The Lord answers Hezekiah's prayer in chapter 37, 21 and following. In essence, what is being said there as the Lord responds is that Assyria is going to go down and they do. I wanna pick up in the end of chapter 37, verse 33. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with shield or cast up a siege mount against it. By the way he came, by the same way he shall return and he shall not come into the city, declares the Lord, for I will defend the city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant, David. That was the Lord's response. And then in chapter, excuse me, in verses 36 and following, we have the description of what happened. Verse 36, and the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, there were dead bodies everywhere. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, Adramelech and Sharazer, his son, struck him down with the sword. And after they escaped into the land of Ararat, Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. Assyria was defeated. The Lord answers Hezekiah's prayer. And notice Assyria, they're not struck by Judah's military. Egypt didn't come running up to Judah and help them out in this pinch. It was the very word of God through the angel of the Lord that struck them down in an instant, reminding us of a very important lesson. You can have all of the Egypts and Assyrias you want, but none of them are a match for the Lord. Not one. Therefore, we can trust him and him alone. So these are the reasons why God can be trusted. All other alliances will fail us. A certain future awaits us and God sits enthroned over all of us. But I wanna finish up this morning with one last quick point. It's what I call a glaring reminder. And we see it in chapters 38 and 39. Now one would think, boy, chapter 37 with this narrative of Hezekiah would be a great place to end, right? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty, pretty good. I mean, God's king gets it right, trust the Lord, praise. All, those, all the moving parts are moving right like they should. This is how one should respond to the Lord and God responds. He wipes these Assyrians clean, moves the, sends the rest of them packing and no more, Assyria is no more a threat. But we have chapters 38 and 39 that God also gave us 
which are important for us to consider. In chapter 38 and 39, we have really a flashback. Historically, these events in chapters 38 and 39 happened before chapter 36 and 37. So it's a flashback that Isaiah, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, strategically places here. It covers a period when, in chapter 38, basically Hezekiah had fallen ill, he was sick, and he prays for the Lord to heal him. And the Lord answers his prayer and he heals him. That's chapter 38. But chapter 39 also covers a time when envoys from Babylon, which was a growing people of that day, came to visit Jerusalem. And Hezekiah in chapter 39, we, we read this, look at, look at chapter 39. At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick and had recovered. What a kind gesture. Hezekiah was ill, let me send him a present. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly, and he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all the realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Bad move, Hezekiah. It'd be the equivalent of some foreign nation coming to Washington, D.C., and government leaders saying, welcome, welcome. Let me go show you everything in the Pentagon. Let me show you the treasury. Let me show you everything in the White House, in the Capitol. Let's let just see it all. This is exactly what Hezekiah did. And both of these scenes show us that even though Hezekiah was a man of bold faith, he was a man who still had his moments of human weakness. When he grew ill, it's also recorded in 2 Chronicles 34. Two, verse 25, which showed us that pride deceived him. He grew ill, he grew worried about his own personal safety, so he prays for healing. And God's merciful and he heals him. But then in Babylon, we're not exactly told why he welcomed him here, whether he saw them as a potential ally or he wanted to show off kind of bragging, look at all we have, or whether it's something else. But, but his, his pride gets in the way again. And this section ends with this visit from the Babylonian envoy. And it would be a prelude of what was to come. Assyria would come and be pushed back. And Jerusalem would be spared for now. But a hundred years or so later, they would not be spared because Babylon would eventually overtake the Assyrians and they would march straight to Judah and destroy Jerusalem and take them into captivity. Babylon would soon become this world power, and Isaiah prophesies that. Look at verse 5 of chapter 39. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And then notice what Hezekiah says. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good, for he thought there will be peace and security in my days. He's basically told through Isaiah, Babylon's going to come and take your sons off into captivity. 
your descendants. And Hezekiah basically says, well, that's all and good, but I'm gonna enjoy peace in my day and time. What happens then is on them. See his pride and his selfishness. Hezekiah was a man of faith, but he was also a man, a man of weakness. Friends, it's a reminder to us that trusting God is not some seasonal or occasional action. We are called to faithfully trust the Lord every single day, every single moment. We are called to look to him, to trust him, not to, to grow in pride. Stephen reminded us earlier that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We're called to trust not in ourselves, not in our wealth and our riches, and not in the things that we can do. We're called to trust in the Lord. And it's a reminder to us all that even those of us with a strong faith, we can still have moments where we waver, where pride gets in the way, causes us not to look to the Lord and causes us to look somewhere else. It's a reminder that God's warnings need to be taken with absolute seriousness. And we end in chapter 39, which sets us up for what's to come in chapters 40 through 66. What you're gonna find in the coming chapters is now Isaiah spans forward and he's going to write all of these words of comfort to those who are now in exile in Babylon. So up into chapter 39, you've had all of these words of judgment and condemnation and now he's gonna give words of comfort and hope. Not the way of God. He warns us, he's just and so he will hold us accountable but he is also a God of comfort and a God of mercy. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what challenge you may be facing today. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what troubles loom around you. And while it may be hard and overwhelming, understand that your trials and your troubles are also an opportunity. An opportunity to demonstrate who you trust an opportunity to obey the Lord in faithfulness and righteousness, to put your hope and trust in him and to make known that he is the one that you look to. It's an opportunity to look beyond the circumstances that you are in or that you are facing and to look to the God who remains sovereign over it all. God was in the midst of Judah's crisis and friends, he can be in the midst of yours as well. He's all you need. You can look to him and trust in him. Isaiah 33 verses five and six remind us so well. The Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness and he will be the stability of your times. Abundance of salvation, wisdom and knowledge, the fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. Friends, may he be your treasure and may he be your stability all your days. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for your reminding us so kindly through this historical account of your people so long ago that we are to trust in you. Father, we will all face troubles and trials in this world. They all will come and go and Present us opportunity of whether or not we're going to put our trust in you during those times. And Lord, it may be that we're going through a difficult trial even now as I speak, Father, and maybe we're the only ones that, that are aware or maybe, maybe others, but Father, it may be that 
Some in this very room right now are convicted that they have not been putting their trust and their hope in you. They've been looking to so many other ways and other, other things to satisfy their, their fears, their worries, their anxieties. Father, would you through your word this morning speak into their hearts and call them back to trusting you? Would you remind us, Lord, that it is dangerous and deadly to look elsewhere? Even when circumstances may not make much sense, even when it seems risky to look to you and to trust in you and your word, Father, would you keep us trusting? Would you remind us that your word never fails? All the riches of this world and everything in this world will fail, but you never fail. So help our trust, Lord, to be always and only in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.